So I've been here a grand total of four months now, and I think I've missed my 90-day review. So I'll give you my version of what that looks like. I walk in here on Sabbath mornings, very excited, a little um, earlier than most, and I'm waiting for the kids to arrive because there are certain weeks that I know I'll hear the footsteps and then they'll go, Pastor Kayla, you savage. <laughs> and when it first happened, I was like, oh my, we've, we've got some things to talk about. Um, and then it's followed by, you're the worst. I'm like, okay, well, it looks like I'm off to a good start here. Uh, Bonita, um, your children who have called me the worst and that um, I, I don't care for the children because this space here is a Pokemon gym. And for whatever reason, you all chose the wrong side and it's blue more often than it's red. And so when I first got here, it was one of my missions. I am going to take down this church. It is going to be a red gym of which I am a team. And so every so often I'd hear them and I'd see them playing in the hallways trying to get this Pokemon gym to stay blue, their color. They would leave and of course as a pastor oftentimes we're here at different hours, nobody's here and so sometimes I'd be done sermon prepping and I go sit back there and I just play a little more. And then they come back the next day and they're like, it's not blue. So that, that's how we've begun. Um, but it's given us some, some very interesting interactions with now they come up and it's Pastor Kayla. And it's just like that nod, like I give in. It's fine. It's yours. Um, and so thank you for, for that win on, on my end. Um, but now we start asking different questions in this space and more than just this Pokemon fun playing gym that we are here. Um, I have loved that our church will ask hard questions and we will get into hard spaces because we believe that in spite of life being hard or messy, that there is something to be joyous about. So let's start this morning. What is the meaning of life? A question that philosophers have tried to answer for, for ages and still debated, debated today. Debated today? Debated today. Um, and this sermon is not my attempt to answer that question. It is more of an expose of sorts, something for, for us to think about. Um, something that we as humans are constantly doing. We are seeking purpose and understanding. And our Christian selves, and I love that we have that, that distinction because it's really just ourselves. We as Christians, we say we turn to the Bible. We'll look at scripture. We'll find our answer. And so our answer, what is the meaning of life, is a faith-based answer. But there are millions of people who are not faith-based people, so they don't have a faith-based answer. So our question is, where do we start? 
And I think it's fitting that my key text for today, what you will find in your Bible, is found in Ecclesiastes. It's the wisdom book, one of the wisdom books of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So hopefully that will shed some light into what we're doing as, as we seek this question a little further. Pastor Milton took us through the creation story last week, and we learned that when we look at the creation account in Genesis, we figure out more than what was made each day. We use both chapters, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, um, two creation accounts if you didn't realize, but not so that they can be pitted against each other, but so that we can have a fuller understanding of what's happening here. So if you guys will come with me to the book of Genesis, right at the beginning, chapter 2, um, there's a Bible in front of your pew or whatever phone device you're using. Um, we will start with verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was no one, there was not one found as a helper or his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the God, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then he said... This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. There are a few observations that I want to make here with this passage. In, in verse 18, we read the word helper. When we look at the Hebrew word for helper, it's ezer. And we look at the other times that ezer is used in the Bible. Ezer is usually a helper, something that is referring to God. God ezer, someone who gives us strength and protection. The book of Exodus says that God is referred to as there by Moses, God who kept Moses safe, God who protected Moses and gave Moses strength. When we look at God creating a helper in our creation story, it has nothing to do with gender, male, female, and now there's a place for her to help. We are looking at everything to do with God's identity and everything to do with our identity. We are to be the Isaiah, not only companions to each other, not only helpers, but we are to be each other's strength and each other's protection. We are not merely to exist to lend a helping hand to each other. While that is good, we exist to be invested in one another. There is another thing that I would like to point out in verses 21 and 22. We're very familiar with these translations that say that woman is the rib of man. The Hebrew word mitzlotav, however, is only translated as rib in the Genesis creation account. All the other 39 times that this word is used, it is translated as side. 
Many of your Bibles have the apparatus at the bottom, and so as you're reading scripture, you'll find some little alphabet letters along the way, and you can go down to the bottom, and it'll show you an alternate reading or an alternate translation of how to use um, different ways this has been perceived in the past. So in verse 21, there's a superscript letter for me for the word rib. The bottom of the Bible, you might find a letter H or a G. And for the translation, it says part of man's side. So in verse 22, if we were reusing, re, reading it using this alternate translation, it would read, Then the Lord God made a woman from the part he had taken out of the man. And while this could seem like a small nuisance and such a small detail to be overlooked, I think the observation gives us a lot of insight. If we back up for a second and just talk about what's happening in context, God is creating our world. Adam is created, and he's tasked with naming the animals. Adam is left without a counterpart, and God creates Eve. And so if we are combining Genesis 1 and 2 to get this fuller understanding of what's happening at creation, we can look in Genesis chapter 1 and we we can acknowledge, yes, on day 6, this is when the humans were created. And if you read the first part of verse 31 in chapter 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And for the first time, we see this emphasis in it being very good. So it wasn't until both men and women are created that creation is very good. And now we can start talking through some of the details to consider. We haven't been introduced to sin quite yet in our creation narrative at this part of the story. So we can't say that it's a sin to be alone. But I would like to suggest that we can say it goes against God's purpose for creation if we're not understanding ourselves in relation to each other. This makes sense for our internal desires to find love, to be loved, to give love. We were made in love for love. And I'm not sure about you, but this idea of loneliness being against God's purpose is beautiful. It makes it real for why God is our comforter, why God is our rock and our strength. God wasn't done creating until he saw that the loneliness that Adam felt could be done away with. So our key text for today, Ecclesiastes 4. We're going to open our Bibles there and we'll read the first five words to start. Two are better than one. So, how many of you guys have a Facebook? I know the youth don't, so I guess we don't have Facebook here. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right. Facebook. And if we have a Facebook, we may or may not be familiar with this thing called a doppelganger. Or if you're not familiar with Facebook, you might still know what a doppelganger is. It's this idea that there is somebody that looks like you. And they could be my doppelganger. People will laugh at me and say, like, you're your mom's doppelganger. Or your mom is your doppelganger. And I'm like, that's just genetics. That doesn't count. Um, but for 
for Facebook a few years ago, we they decided that it was a thing to figure out who your celebrity doppelganger was. And people would change their profile picture to, to the image of whoever that celebrity was. And it was up to the community, the Facebook community, to decide, yeah, that was good, that's spot on, I can see it. Or, mm, nope, I think you're just wishing you looked like Katy Perry. Like, that's not what that is. So, having said that, we have a video that I would like to show. And if you turn your attention to the screens, I think that it's ready to go. I got in touch on the site, so I had a crazy idea, why not go fly a meter? I just wanted to see what she was like before meeting her. I wanted to spend time with her family, see what her friends are like. When I met Andrea, he said that myself and Luisa had the same presence or aura. And uh, the aura, <laughs> call that, call that. It's very similar, I, I feel it. I broke down crying, I had a couple of tears. I, this is crazy how I get no, so emotional. I don't even, like, no, this, so is, this is insane. Distanza, sembravi proprio Luisa. Oh my god, It was my second twin stranger, and you think I would have been prepared from the first. I just got really, really nervous for meeting her because, yeah, what did she think of me as well? You know, would I live up to her expectations? Oh my god. Hello. So great to meet you and meet your face. We have this thing in our cheek here, this little line. And here. And here. When we smile. Yeah. Just our movements and our gestures and the way we scruffle our nose. We play with our hair in the same way. But I wanted to see how close we could get to look alike each other. Do you want to do it? No. Okay. Smile. Big one. Yay. You simply take a pencil and you run it inside of your waterline. What do you think about changing the color of our eyes? Mental. So after the makeup, I guess the next on our list was the photo shoot. I was impressed with what we got. I really do think though that we look more like in person than we do um, in photographs. Maybe it should be we have similar soul even. Not only similar face, we kind of like soulmate kind of. I really do think I have another friend for life and God help me if I found my seven because they're never going to get rid of me. So this website, twinstrangers.com, says that there are seven doppelgangers that each person has on this earth. And this character has found three of them. So if you actually wanted to go check it out, you could go watch those videos um, on the internet. Um, that's amazing. It's weird, um, but amazing. Um, and as I think about it, I'm like, 
aside from people who tell me I look like my family, do I have a doppelganger? And I was like, I do. She is a YouTube star. And there are times where I'd like pause the frame and then I'd go show my family and like, doesn't that look like me? And they're like, her face is covered by her hair. So sure, if, that, if you want that to look like you. Um, two are better than one. When I was sent this link, I, I was, it was accompanied by a text that said, there's a sermon in here somewhere, right? Um, and immediately I thought, two heads are better than one? And then as I thought about that, I was like, that's probably not in scripture. Um, that might just be like the Chinese fortune cookie kind of thing that you, that you read. Um, but it did point me to, to a verse that, that spoke to today. So verses 9 through 12 read, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against the other, two will withstand. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So what do all of these different pieces mean? We're talking about creation. We're talking about two being better than one. Well, I do think it means something for our community. When we look at the creation narrative and we match it with wisdom found in Ecclesiastes, we test that against the words of Jesus when he says in Matthew, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The fact that community is central to our existence is blaring. I would like to suggest that we have to look at ourselves in relation to others, that the only way we are made whole is when we realize they are that side and they are that part that completes us. And only then are we good. And if we're trying to be very good, then we need to be looking way outside of ourselves and into the community that we are a part of. That we can only ever try to be good when I recognize that I can't do this on my own. We were created for the purpose of community, that we might be with each other, that we might be with God. We begin to understand who we are because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that life came through the creator. And when we put all of these details together to be made in the image of God, we know that God is relational. We know that God is not distant and far from us. That God's identity can only be known through our experience and engagement with God's community. So thank you to the Holy Spirit for being the one who brings conviction to our lives. Thank you for continually seeking after us that we might catch a glimpse of the divine. That while we relate to God through Jesus, who was God with us, Emmanuel, it is because we have been filled with the Holy Spirit that we can even begin to understand and comprehend these relationships. Our identity isn't complete without relationship to the other. We, our individual selves, are merely pieces, one part of the whole. We are nobody unless we are being community to somebody around us. I think that it's a beautiful concept. And 
we do not begin to know ourselves completely until we are fully engaged in relationship. And so as I continue to explore my identity as God's created child, I don't exist in a vacuum. God uses people to reach people. So we know that God's love, we know of God's love as we experience love. We're using each other as a metric because we don't know who we are without each other. I was watching an episode of Jane the Virgin. If you're a fan, we can talk later. If you're not a fan, don't, 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 we don't have to talk about it at all. Um, but, spoiler alert, she has a baby, and she's so in love with her newborn baby in the first week as parents and as grandparents and as family and friends come in to visit and to help give her a break, they realize this is an uncomfortable situation. Why? They think and they look at her and they say, so when was the last time you showered? She's like, I just can't put him down. He's so precious. Yeah, but you can shower. But I haven't been in the sun and I haven't been super sweaty, so it's fine. Like, I'm okay. And the camera pans to the family who are rolling their eyes like, how do we break this to you? Your body odor in and of itself is not okay for this room that you are in. Another example that I've read about takes it to this level. An author talks about his four-year-old daughter who wakes up in the morning, jumps in the parents' bed, loving and kissing, good morning, mom, good morning, dad. And it takes everything the father has not to cringe because her breath stinks. But I love you, and she's coming in with all this love. At some point... They have to tell her so that she can become more aware. At some point, somebody said, you can't wear plaid pants and a plaid shirt together. Or you can't wear blue jeans and a blue shirt because the blues are not the same. We're using each other's as metrics. And it's interesting. I've said this before and in, in other times that I've been up here. Something beautiful happens when you belong to a community. And so a few weeks ago, uh, I left church. I drove a couple hours north, and I went to go get a bib. And not a bib for a baby, and not a bib that I wear around my neck, a bib that you run with. Because the next day, I would be running in the dark side. I don't even remember. The light side half marathon at Disney. And as you're going through to pick up your race materials, you see children at the tables making signs. So they'll be your cheerleaders along the way. And so as I got my R2-D2 dress on, as my family members dressed up, as we saw the Ewoks, the Chewbaccas, the Princess Leias get into full gear costume to run 13 miles, the fun things were looking at the signs along the way. The cheerleaders whose poster boards that they were holding said, 
you will drop this cup of water when you leave the table. It's like, well, yes, if you're familiar with running culture, all you do is like you grab it while people are handing them and then you just like drop it again. Like, don't worry about trash, nothing. So it's like, these guys are smart, they're Jedis. Or as you pass mile two, there's a guy standing with a hind above his head, waving his hand over you like you are a Jedi, like he is a Jedi. He's like, this is not the mile you were looking for. It's like, no, thank you. I would like you at mile 13. Um, one of my favorite was having a family who had little kids and they were spaced out over maybe 50 to 100 yards and it said, each sign said the same thing. I am one with the course and the course is one with me. And as you run for about 50 to 100 yards, you just see that. And so if you haven't seen the movie most recently, then that one will be lost a little on you. But. One of the other things that was fun to see um, were the different C-3PO outfits, the different Ewok outfits, and how they would intermingle because this is a Star Wars universe-esque kind of place. It's fascinating. People will line up and your bib says your name. So as you're walking or running or whatever you're doing going, it's really hard to be really slow and hating your life when you get to mile 10 because they're like, go Kayla, you can do it. And you're like, please don't look at me. I am sore and I need to just keep going. Other than Star Wars runs, you might find a sign that says, you look hot when you sweat. You're like, well, thank you, I am, I am running. Um, or signs that say, you're doing so well that your pores are crying of happiness. It's like, yes, yes. And it's interesting because this might be information, but I am an advocate for vulnerability. So here it goes. When I run and you, you expend all of this energy and you exercise, if you're familiar with that, you'll know that like sometimes you get salty. Um, and so there will be people with packets of the little iodized salt just so that you can take them as you're running to put them in your mouth and go. So sometimes along my hairline, you'll see a little saltiness. And so signs that will say, don't be salty, keep going. And you're just like, okay, well, thank you. But it's fascinating because the running community is something that keeps you going. Why I signed up that first time and I couldn't walk for the first three days like seven years ago, I don't know. But here I am still doing them because it's an experience and because it's fun. Last anecdote about running. When, when you're 21 years old and you are training for a half marathon, you get to your corral before you get released to go and you realize that there are 14 year olds next to you and you're like, nah, I'm gonna be able to do this. And so you go and then you're like, oh, they've got a lot of energy, they're little, right? So of course they can do this. It's when you have the 80 year olds who write on their legs that say, an 80-year-old just passed you, and they're going, and you're like, well, this has given me some kind of confidence, right? But it's fantastic, and it's fun, and whatever it is draws you into this community, and you keep going. Ecclesiastes 4, Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up another. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. 
My heading in my Bible says the value of a friend. Pastor Milton mentioned last week that before creation was lost to sin in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, our purpose was to work. Doesn't sound very nice because our idea of work is this sin-laden word. But in Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Interesting. So to work meant to make paradise stay paradise. Like, that's like asking, hey, can you go lay on this beach and make sure it stays a beach? Like, yes, I can do that. It sounds beautiful. I want to do that. I want to go work if that's what it's like. So if we go back, God makes Adam, says, pick a helper out of the animals, names the animals, haven't found anything creates and is ready for woman, and as Milton said, or it's, whoa, man. Um, we have been created in his image to be in relationship. We cannot know ourselves without knowing another. We talk about how these vertical relationships, our relationship to the divine, helps our horizontal relationships, our relationships with each other, that we get a metaphor for what it means to have the divine in our lives, that we get a metaphor for what it will look like when paradise is restored. Something transformational, though, happens when you live in, when you participate in, and when you journey with a community of people who seek Jesus. We come here on Sabbath to worship, to be together, to fellowship. I love that we have an opportunity to do this, to begin to see each other as pieces of a whole, that we might not understand who we are without each other's presence. We are deepening these relationships and we're exploring what it really means to live a life that's connected. So to answer the question I posed earlier, where do we start? In life's search for meaning and purpose, we look to our faith. Only known through scripture, made real in our experience, thanks to the Holy Spirit, our scripture that points us to Jesus points us to creation, points us to our identity. Identity that can't be known outside of the other. Yet we live in a world where we don't actually want to be known. Our social media craze allows me to say something that I wouldn't actually say in person. It allows me to post things for likes and not for insight. But I believe that the Bible is calling us to something more and to something deeper. Something that does expose our vulnerabilities so that we can fashion genuine relationship. Relationship not because of proximity and not because we simply worship in this place once a week together from 1115, but because we really don't know who we are without each other. What does all of this tell us about our community? When we look at the creation narrative, we match it with the wisdom found in Ecclesiastes, with the words of Jesus, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The fact that our community is central to our existence, that's why. It's 
because of who we are. I would like to suggest that it's only when we look at ourselves in relation to other people that we know who we are. And that's why. Amen.